This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. Welcome to the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and I am psyched to be back. Not back. I mean, it's not like we were gone. It's just been seven days, and um, sometimes that <laughs> feels like a long time. Um, obviously, we'll talk about this week's episodes. There's actually two of them, um, but last week we did an interview with Jamie Walter, and uh, it's one of the best received episodes we've had in a very long time. Um, same thing actually with the Connor Ryan episode the week before. Um, and I can't remember the week before, but I feel like that one was a good one as well. So, um, be sure to listen to past episodes of the show. Um, we're putting out a lot these days, but I don't want you to think that quality is shitty. I would actually say quality has been improved significantly, um, over the past few months. So, um, we're starting to figure some stuff out. Uh, we're getting in a good rhythm here, and I am psyched to keep it rolling through the season. Um, it's preseason time, and that's like, I don't know, I'm getting the jitters. I'm getting the pre-ski jitters. Um, anyway, today's guest or guests, uh, are we're going to talk about them individually a little bit here. Um, Christoph Lentz is guest number one. He is head of the boot division at Fisher Skis, Fisher Sports, Fisher boots in this case. Um, so we spend some time talking about the differences in the product line. We talk through the individual boots. They have a new boot called the Transalp, um, which kind of completes their touring line. You've probably heard me talk about it in ads already, but this is one that is worth, uh, is worth diving into a little more. So we have that for you today. Uh, we also talk about the difference. Christoph is from here and has moved, um, to Austria. So to work for Fisher. So he kind of talks about the differences between the markets, between types of people, even the skiing, like what, what people like to ski there versus what people like to ski here. And uh, we have a really good conversation. So um, I enjoyed that. Thank you to Christoph. And uh, check out that boot. Go try it on. Go in your local shop and, uh, and put that thing on your foot. Um, the new trans out from Fisher. Um, and then we talked to... Uh, Chris Carlton. Chris is one of the co-owners of All Speed Cyclery and Snow. They are a ski, bike, um, and outdoor shop in Maine, Portland, Maine to be exact, and I believe they have one in Carabasa Valley as well. Um, but Chris kind of talks to me about how his business has changed over the past couple of years, what he's done to make adjustments, um, especially post-COVID or during covid um, we talk about a bunch of stuff. We kind of do some shop talk. We talk about relationships, uh, in the industry. Um, it's a quick one. So I kind of figured we'll squeeze two of these into one here. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's it for now. Um, thank you to our friends at Blizz Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. They've been a great sponsor and I really have enjoyed having them on. Um, you can go to www.com enjoywinter.com and you can save yourself 30% off on a pair of blizz shades whether they are goggleless shades or they are shade shades um you can do you can do either um save 30% by using promo code out of bounds 30 um o is capital o is capital and b is capital um 
so yeah, that's it. That's my story for now. Leave a review on iTunes if you get the opportunity. Um, follow us on social media as we hit that 10,000 follower mark on Instagram. I'm um, over a thousand on Twitter now, and that's cool. I'm uh, pretty excited about that. So anything else? Was I supposed to tell you anything else? Oh yeah, check out the new website if you haven't yet, www.outofcollective.com. Obviously, we're selling a bunch of vintage stuff on there as well. We're selling our old gear. We're selling um, swag. We've got hats and uh, ski straps and stickers and all that good stuff. If you'd like to sh- support the show, I almost said support the show. If you'd like to support the show, uh, go buy some swag. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's that's all I have for you today. Enjoy this episode with Christoph and then with Chris. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you do. Tell me what, why we're talking and the whole nine. Like, let people know who you are, Christoph. Yeah, um, my name is Christoph Lentz. Um, I am the Alpine Foods product manager for Fisher Sports, um, based in Austria. Uh, I have been with Fisher since the end of 2019 now. Um, in a product management role based in Ried im Inkreis, Austria. Um, and yeah, as you can maybe hear, I am not an Austrian. I'm born in the U.S. and only uh, recently made the jump over the pond to, to Europe to give this whole thing a shot. Um, originally from Park City, Utah, Grew up as an alpine ski racer um, and have spent most of my life in ski boots, seemingly. Um, but only in the last few years really put my mind to how do we make these things? How do we make them better? Uh, how do we sell these things? Um, which is how we got put in contact. Um, I know you have a relationship with Fisher, um, Fisher with our headquarters in New Hampshire. Uh, has a strong presence in the Northeast. Um, and so, yeah, here we are. Um, I have. Yeah, go ahead. So I, my question, I guess, to you is like, what has the change been like going from Park City to jumping over the pond, going to Austria? Like, uh, first of all, did you speak the language at all? Like, have you learned anything like language-wise, culture-wise? I think we should start there what's been different for you adapt because that's a huge change people don't usually just be like oh i have a new job now i'm gonna go (laughs) across the world kind of and make it happen over there like usually it's like they move out of town and it's like people are nervous wrecks about moving out of their town never mind moving out of their country yeah um totally valid question and i do find myself sometimes wondering how did i get here or where am i um but i did have a huge benefit. Um, my mom is originally from Garmisch-Partenkirchen, Germany in okay. Bavaria. So I was born in the States, but grew up speaking um, a fair amount of German. And I learned that pretty organically from her. Um, and uh, one step further, I guess I didn't really learn German. I learned Bavarian, uh, the dialect. Uh, so that was the, kind of the first part that made me open to the idea. Um, yeah, uh, and also with that, I, I have German citizenship, which from a working perspective made it a lot easier, uh, kind of reduced the visa hurdle, um, just with 
dual citizenship, American and German, uh, the door was open. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's despite having, I guess, some amount of roots in German-speaking world, uh, it's, it's culture shock was massive. Um, there's plenty of just things that you don't realize until you're here, and that was probably my first six months of, I mean, starting with the keyboards and <laughs> the computers look different. You've got all the umlauts with all the dots over the letters. I didn't uh, even Z think about that. The, the Z and the Y are different. Uh, I have Z in my last name. So when I switch back between my work computer and my private Mac, I type my name wrong all the time. <laughs> um, thinking about math and whatnot. And the, I mean, like dates are one thing. I write the dates backwards. So it's like just these tiny little things. Oh, my God. They write day, month, year, which when you think about it makes almost more sense. Much more sense. Yeah. But uh, they do everything with a dot in between. Okay. So we we like our our slash. Um, when you're talking about money, and I, I I do a fair amount of spreadsheeting, looking at costs and order numbers and whatnot. Uh, they separate uh, instead of a decimal, they use a comma. Okay. And there's all these slightly little things when you're in Excel that suddenly. Just you need to to relearn these things. So those were some immediate things that just on a technical level shocked me, and you wouldn't expect. Um, I've been working on a handbook for future Americans that move to Austria, <laughs> essentially to join Fisher of things that nobody will tell you that you need to learn, but you'll eventually learn it. It's going to turn into um, a memoir. Yeah, I mean, there's some sort of price margin calculation I remember at the beginning and I'm like raising my hand in my first couple of weeks saying hey guys you did all the math wrong here this is not <laughs> two comma two comma three percent and they're like no that means 230 percent I'm like oh okay I'll be quiet now <laughs> so um yeah despite having the uh the, the native or proficiency uh, when it comes to the language, I mean, the culture is totally different. Uh, things start early, and uh, speaking particularly for Austria, things start early and end early. So work day is from 7 till 5. Okay. And don't you dare ask somebody to uh, start on a new topic at 4.30. It's, they, oh, it's over. Work I like that. I, I like this a lot so far. Yeah, I, it, it's uh, pros and cons, but for sure, when they're working, they're very efficient and are, are trying to get things done. Um, but when it's not work hours, uh, it's it's just they're off. They mm. really turn off. The same thing applies to vacation. Uh, there's a very generous five-week vacation that's legally required. Legally and, required. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was also kind of one of the things at the beginning was, yeah, we have to clock in and out every day. So they track our hours. Yeah. And it is not to make sure you're working enough. It's really to make sure you're not working too much. That is insane. Um, yeah. So, and it's, uh, yeah, if you're a team player, you use your vacation. Otherwise, the company has to pay your vacation to you um, as part of what? the system. So. 
kind of different mindset to what I was used to in kind of my previous life working in in the states where it was yeah yeah you, you almost feel bad time. like yeah. yeah you feel bad if if I took a five week vacation now everybody at work would shoot me in the face probably like no one would be like oh you're you're using your time efficient like everyone would be upset that I was taking that much time off like it, people don't get five weeks a year to just like have a vacation that's uh that's pretty cool I mean that's got to be a huge benefit in itself I'm, what do you even do during that time I'm, I'm here I am asking you about your vacation and shit but it's like yeah. that's a lot of time man uh, I I kind of had struggled with it I mean most of the call them the the locals or the the real the real Austrians they plan their vacations months in advance years in advance and they know exactly where they're going and they book their book their vacation um they obviously have family and kids and have a have a bigger schedule to hold to but me being a single younger guy um like to work pretty spontaneously and suddenly you're like well should i have the next two weeks off what do i do with myself mm. um so i found uh, uh getting used to and i'm already starting to make plans for next August so that I have something to do and that I'm not just <laughs> sitting in my apartment for the first week trying to make plans <laughs> for the second week of vacation. So, yeah, um, that's one thing. Um, my favorite quote to kind of really sum up uh, kind of the culture difference as well, something I heard on a podcast uh, recently, but uh, in the UK, um, 100 miles is a really long way or and in the u.s a hundred years is a really long time mm. so to say that everything is pretty close together um people don't like to travel or drive as much yeah um, everything's close together but the history of everything is just crazy long and yeah. coming from utah i remember i mean in uh, our high school or middle school history classes, you're learning about things that happened 100 years ago, 200 years ago. We, right. we settled this great state. And here, the, my, my apartment building that I live in, you, you see this, the, the little stone engraved on the front, and it's like building was built in 1625. And That's like, so oh, crazy. Man, this, is, this is just a totally different um, history there. Yeah, so... Talk to me a little bit about, we'll get into like what specifically you do with Fisher 2 and like we'll talk about boots and then there's a new boot that's launching this year that obviously we're going to spend some time on. But talk to me a little bit about the differences between how you manage dealing with Fisher US in North America and Fisher in Austria. Like, I mean, you're kind of dealing with both sides, right? So how how do you manage that part of it? What's different when you're bringing something to the table over in the States or you bring something to the table here or in Austria rather? Yeah. Um, I mean, the ski sport is huge in Austria. It's, I dare say more of an everyman sport. Okay. Um, starting from proximity to, to ski areas. I mean, it's a small country, uh, size of Texas, if that even. And so everybody is within driving distance of the Alps and can go mm. skiing. Um, so I feel like it is more integrated in the culture, um, but at the same time, they are quite a bit more conservative over here, okay. um, talking about system skis, narrower skis. Um, people really do like their on-piste carvers. 
Yeah. And people go skiing early so they can get the fresh corduroy. Yeah. And where I've grown up, it's 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 more about getting off piste and totally. It's it, yeah, you know how it goes. So um, there's certain things when we look at more of the free ride market. Um, when we're talking about our Ranger skis, Ranger boots, where we do look to the U.S., we see that as a market driver, um, as as being on the forefront of of that category. Yeah. Um, when it comes to on piece stuff, uh, Europe and I mean the size of the market over here really dictates a lot of the decisions. Mm. Um, but really, that's the challenge in my role as to bring to, together every year a successful international collection. Mm. So we need to really put together uh, the lineup that works for North America, that works for Central Europe, that works for Asia, uh, works for Down Under. And you you realize that there are some some big trade-offs there. Um, yeah, the, the Europeans are generally a little more conservative. What wider skis, what... Uh, incompatible boots yeah. concern. Um, and especially if we're talking about the touring market too, I mean, it's uh, the same types of people, but uh, the conditions over here are just so much different. So uh, the Alps being so steep and relatively exposed, I mean, it's uh, generally a long, steep hike, yeah. so ski stuff. Uh, the valleys are generally at very low elevation with good snow up top, meaning you're often boot packing or going through some real shit snow at the bottom through mud and whatnot. Whereas in the States, I mean, you've got a lot of side country, let's call it, um, yeah. riding lift up and, and skiing out of bounds. You've got a lot of sled skiing. I've yet to see a snowmobile in Europe <laughs> being in that country, like the way I'm uh, used to you seeing. So uh, that also uh, impacts quite a bit of the, the product choices of weight becomes more important than skiing performance just because you're huh. so focused on how hot, how many vertical meters you actually need to get up. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because like people here don't even have that concept. They don't even really understand, uh, with the exception of some areas in like the whites, where people really like they get it. I think most people here are like, oh, no, I want to go tour, but I don't really give a shit about the ski if it doesn't ski well going down. Like, that's the priority is down. I want it to get me to the top, right? So it's interesting to hear that, like, okay, it is really important to have lightweight gear. This is why it's really important to have that lightweight gear. And I think now you're starting to see a little more of it become popular in New England and in, in North America in general because – Ski touring is growing. It's the growing market, I think, for for many of the ski brands that are out there right now. And Fisher's kind of positioned itself well because you know you guys have all the offerings, especially in boots. I mean, you guys have one, two, three, four pin boot offerings. Like that's that's yeah, great. Exactly. Nobody has that. I feel like other than like the true tour only companies. Like you're not seeing a Nordica, a Blizzard. These kind of companies are not offering four different types of boot for the different and more specific aspects of ski touring. And I think that speaks to like Fisher as an international brand. You guys are able to offer everything from, and not just ski touring from like ski racing from on piece stuff. Like here, it's like, if you have a new on piece ski, it's like, people are like, eh, it's okay. Like it's cool, but it's like, it's another one you know, they could buy the last year's version 
And a lot of times I don't really see the difference because it's not what people are hunting for. Versus like you put out a pink Ranger 102 here, it's like everybody's frothing at the idea of having like a pink, fat, do everything ski. It's like what people want. So yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's really interesting the way you guys have positioned yourself overall um, to be in this, like you guys are hitting it at the perfect time where things are like, it's popular right now. Ski touring is what people want to get into. It's what people are learning about and having a diverse offering like you guys do is super important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the touring side, uh, uh, experience, and I think part of that being situated where we are, our um, expert groups and the people who we work with in the product development, I think we had the start um, because there's just, it was so much more present even five years ago over here. A lot of people yeah. doing that and so a lot of product has to develop that. But on the other side, um, that's part of the reason why I got hired as well, is to really be the uh, liaison and to speak more for the American market. Um, I don't understand the Austrian market nearly as well as I do the American market where um, I was really born and raised. So there's there's it helps, especially being an Austrian-based company. A lot of the decisions, product decisions, do get made here. And as much as we try to reference um, our our network in the States, uh, there's certain timely decisions that just need to be made here. And so I'm always the one sitting at the table saying, yeah, maybe for Austria, but in North America, this is not relevant or we need to shift directions. Um, and just as an example, I mean, uh, the Ranger 102, that pink ski is one of my favorite skis. Yeah. But I mean, I get some crazy looks when I bust that out in in Schladming or somewhere just to go rip around. And it rips on piste as well. I mean, it's my favorite ski for all types of conditions. And you get people in the lift line are like, well, man, look at those surfboards. What are you talking about? It's not even a powder day. And I'm like, it's a hundred underfoot. Yeah. Here it's not even a powder ski. It's like people look at you like on a powder and you're like, what are you doing? Why do you have that? Like get something bigger. Yeah. Everything over here is a little shorter, a little bit smaller. And so that's kind of been funny. So I've been, I make the joke always, I'm on a mission to bring fat skis to, to the piece here in Europe because it's so much more fun. I, awesome. Yeah. The, the the carving skis will will perform for you but you're missing out on how much fun these things are yeah and i think the the thing here too is it's so important to have a ski that's versatile like most people are buying one ski right because it's not their primary sport it's like they will pick a ski and it'll be like what they have to do everything with in every condition so that's why bindings like a shift are really important a duke are really important uh mtn a kingpin these kind of things are are great because they allow you to ski a slightly heavier ski, still ski it, still drive it, and it can be somebody's true one quiver ski. And that's what people look for here, I think, a lot more than in other countries. You hear people like, okay, the quiver is is important, right? Because they, they want specific carving skis. They want slightly wider skis. They want a 70, they want an 85, they want a 90 maybe, and then maybe they'll get a 100 as their POW ski. But it's, uh, it's very... It's important. I mean, to me, it's like it's the majority of what I sell in the store. It's the majority of what I sell on this podcast. It's like I tell people, like, that's the ski if you're looking for something to get to do everything with. And and it's true. It's like it truly is a super versatile ski. I've skied it with a lightweight tour binding. I've skied it with a Pivot 18. And it skis 
everything just as well. And I think that that speaks to that. But anyway, we're not talking about skis. We're talking about boots. That's what, that's what we need to move. We need to move back to boots. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the boot line that existed previous to this upcoming year um, and where the gap now, I guess, because there had to be a gap that is being filled by the new Transalp boot. Yeah, um, so for 2021 season, basically last season, uh, we had uh, two, call it three concepts that were were DIN boots for, for touring, um, starting with our award-winning and very recognizable Traverse boot uh, with the BOA system, with the crossed laces, um, not in a in an ISO norm, so the shorter toe lug. <clears throat> this was really our our first uh, serious foray into touring, and it's been incredibly successful for us. Um, benefit of being super lightweight, a great first fit with that hundred millimeter last, uh, very large range of motion, and um, yeah, all around great for. The European conditions, as we talked about, um, super with crampons, a very mountaineering oriented oriented boot. Um, after that, we came with the the Ranger um, at the time called the Ranger Free. So that was a mid volume, uh, 99 millimeter, uh, multi performance boot with a ski walk mechanism, DIN inserts, and that was the uh, Kind of step up for a crossover boot. Uh, we then came with the Ranger One, so a high volume, 102 millimeter lasted, uh, similar walk ski walk mechanism with the integrated ski walk buckle um, that has been incredibly successful for us as well. A category where we didn't have, where there wasn't a lot of competition for this high volume capable uh, versatile boot. Uh, what we looked, and um, from my personal experience as well, I totally agree that Traverse has really excels for uphill ski touring, for long ski tours where you're going for a couple hours doing two, three thousand vertical meters. I mean, it's it's what you need. Um, but when it came to skiing, it's just a little too light for for really an awesome downhill performance. And that's where we came um, for this coming season with the Trans Alps series, four series of boots, um, which feature the same great fit of the Traverse, but all around a more stable, robust chassis and liner. Mm. Um, so we, we, we um, upgraded to a more alpine-oriented liner, a stiffer tongue. Um, we, we built in the <coughs> power buckle across the top, um, we noticed that the the, the existing BOA system didn't give us quite the torsional uh, and lateral stiffness that's needed, especially when it's paired with larger skis. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's been really successful for us, and we're we're really excited about the future of that. I see that as kind of the touring boot for the North American market, as discussed so far. That's shorter shorter ascents and where the focus really comes down to to good skiing less yeah. traversing across ridge lines cramp on pointy stuff yeah. um activity um that's go gonna be my i mean that's gonna be my everyday boot i think like i've i skied it 
probably 10, 15 days in the spring. And it's like, I, I love that boot, man. Like, so what, and I feel like you're a hundred percent dead on that traverse boot. Like I'm 215 pounds. I ski pretty aggressively. Like there's no, I like that traverse boot a lot, but there's times when I'm folding that thing over and wondering if it's like still in walk mode because it's soft enough that I'm like pushing through it. Granted, that's not all the time, and there are certain situations when I'm, like, super happy to have that boot and super happy to have a little extra flex. But if I'm doing a day where it's, like, I'm lapping a place, you know, a short elevation, like a, like for me in, in Vermont, it's my local place where I go skin is, like, 800 vert, 800 feet of vert, not 800 meters of vert. Yeah. It's 800 feet of vert, and I'm taking my skins off, skiing back down, getting a good line. But it's, like, very short. It's, like, you know, half an hour laps tops. And I'm doing that over and over and over again to get the good snow. For a boot like the Traverse, you want that, or the Transalp rather, it's like it gives you that little bit of extra performance where you feel like, okay, I'm in a real ski boot. Because otherwise, the thought for a lot of people is like, why wouldn't I just like hike up in my regular ski boots if that's the case in that short of a vert? So there's a benefit for it there. And I also think for longer days, it's a totally capable boot like I... Not that I'm recommending people do this, but I drive to the hill all the time in that boot now. It's like it has the full range of motion. It's like it feels like wearing a hiking boot in a lot of ways. So I, I'm, I've been super impressed with the fit of it, too. The liner was particularly impressive to me because if you pull out a lot of touring liners, you like can fold them up into a ball and put them in your pocket. This is a real liner. It's got some actual articulation. Like it's shaped well. It's anatomically correct. It's the toe box has a little bit of extra give. Like it's a very well thought out product. And you usually don't get that until you start to see like, you know, you put in an extra zip fit liner, you put in a whatever aftermarket type liner. This is actually pretty, pretty good, like right out of the box. And I think that was impressive as well. And obviously it looks, it looks really good. So. Yeah, um, I'm so stoked with with how it turned out. Um, I have to say, uh, it was uh, in development before I joined the company, so I um, joined as it was as we were starting the kind of internal sell-in and really ironing out the final details. Um, so my first uh, exposure to it was kind of in internal presentations of saying, "Hey, we finally have a downhill-oriented touring boot." Yep. And I I gotta say I was a little skeptical at first but as soon as i started skiing it it was it did fulfill all the goals i had and did come alive with the wider heavier skis that i have at home in park city that i ski with um as well as with lighter skinnier skis over here so it did exceed my expectations also from from my perspective of watching it come to life um one other thing i would highlight is uh we we changed the sole construction in terms of making it conformant to the ISO 9523 norm. So it has a full uh, long toe lug compared to the Traverse, which had that cutoff snub yep. toe, which means it is technically compatible with a shift, with a dupe PT, with a cast system even, where you can use uh, a real toe piece, um, which Granted, you might be able to get the traverse into a shift, but this is not <laughs> recommended from us, and uh, you can't guarantee the binding release. And so that was a huge step forward too, to make it uh, compatible with the bindings that we see um, being skied on these skis these days. 
Yeah, I think that that part is huge too. So my question then now is who is buying Transalp specifically, right? Because I know for Ranger, the category was like, oh, I want to tour sometimes, right? Like it's like, I want to be able to go touring. I want it to ski really well downhill. Like you see a lot of guys that are primarily skiing lifts, but we'll go ski some side country, go ski, you know, a little, do a couple backcountry days a year, want to, want to walk mode essentially. And then Traverse, like you mentioned earlier, is very much like long days. Where does Transalp fit for most people? Why does someone get out of bed and be like, okay, Transalp is the boot for me? Because, I mean, from my experience, this is filling a gap for you guys that I was filling with other brands, you know, especially on the retail side is like there is yep. a brand or two out there that had a boot that fit neatly in between traverse and ranger right and i think that kind of fills that gap a little bit too but talk to me a little bit about why a consumer cares about that yeah i mean um the way we see the ranger and i think the ranger is a little bit of a aspirational touring boot for somebody who thinks yeah maybe in the future or yeah i might get one or two days touring um, but the primary focus of the ranger is a standard four buckle overlap alpine boot that skis like you would expect an alpine boot to ski um, that for most people in reality comes with the added benefit that you've got a ski walk lever and you can walk more comfortably in the lodge and it is fun in the apres scene at the end of the day. The Transalp is a born and bred touring boot that with the full uh, rubber sole is really, it is a a top of the line touring product and is not something that you would use as a, a 50-50 boot and as a as a pure alpine boot. Um, and again, it's for somebody that cares about the, the down. And I'm not saying they don't exist in North America, but certainly less than here in Europe. There's a lot of people that are only concerned about bagging as many peaks as they can and I've gone touring with enough of them over here where you get to the top of the peak, you're absolutely worked. And it's like, oh man, how about we ski down a little bit and we go to the next peak? Like, I think we can get that one too. And then we can get that <laughs> next one too. And it's all about saying like getting the picture next to the, to the cross at the top and saying, hey, like I, I went up all these places. Where my heart is, and I think the, the conditions, the 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 environment in the states really lends itself to we have good skiing yeah and so it's not that much uh it's not that much fun to work your ass off to get to the top of some run and then have a mediocre descent where you're like trying not to tip over and you're a little bit concerned about how much stability you have mm. um so i think what we have here is a a stable um powerful boot that still comes in at a very low weight, uh, 1,280 grams for the top Transalp Pro model. So it is very competitive in that class. And then uh, we also saw that it was just uh, a big gap in our in our collection. Um, the competitors that we were looking at, I mean, uh, you're looking at a Scarpa Maestrale, hmm. you're looking at a Technica Zero G. Yep, that those are the two that, that I was thinking that about. Had more yeah, of that ski performance, but um, yeah, we were under that with the Traverse with ski performance and thereby weight. So we've really um, ticked the weight up a tiny bit, but really um, given it a lot more horsepower for 
for a real ski experience. Was there any pushback from Fisher when you guys were putting this boot out, like that you guys have too many boot models, like too many touring boot models? Because for me, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I think this is going to sell more boots in every category for you because people now look at Fisher as the the brand that commits to this, right? But was there any pushback from anyone there that was like, oh, this is too many. These are overlapping too much. Like we need to kill this, this, like this needs to go away. Um, I think we did a good job of communicating and, um, and trying to really present that there are kind of two types of tourers out there as described the people who are mainly focused on getting up yeah. and getting up, doing as many, doing as much vert as possible, bagging those peaks and want to just yeah, publish the Strava track of yeah. the longest tour possible. And then you have the people who actually don't care how quickly they get to the top. Um, they want to want to have energy when they get to the top. Therefore, weight becomes important, but they want to really have as much fun as possible skiing down. <clears throat> and that's why I go skiing is because I For sure. really love skiing down. Um, we did. We really did emphasize as well too that this is a double offering, so it does not replace the other. Mm. And um, we do see uh, sales have not quite reached the same level of the Traverse yet. Uh, in the first year, we, yeah, um, new product and the Traverse has a very good standing, and dealers are very and it's confident cheap. in the meantime of what they get. Um, yeah, it's it's accessible from the price. So we, we, we do see um, people taking both of them or dealers buying both of them. But I think a lot of it has to do with where you're, where you're positioned. Um, so we see this as, yeah, I, I, I think the, the potential of this group is, is much greater even than the very successful Traverse. Um, but yeah, no, no pushback. And then, I mean, COVID ended up timing out pretty well for us, all things considered, um, that we came to market and already had this thing developed as the, as the resort started closing and this, this boom started to continue or the, the trend was even more, um, more in vogue. Can I, can I nitpick a little bit here? I have a, so like, I try not to ask gotcha questions and like, be like, oh, like, what do you, so my only complaint with the boot has nothing to do with the boot. Okay, it has everything to do with the naming of the boot. And I just want to know why we didn't do like why isn't it called the Hannibal? Why is it because it seems like it aligns better with the Hannibal ski. It seems like it should have gone like this to Hannibal and then Traverse should have been like either renamed to Transalp. Like I, I guess I'm just a little confused because Hannibal, especially here in the States, it seems like if people are buying a touring ski, they're buying a Hannibal over buying a um, buying, buying a Transalp ski in a lot of cases. Obviously, there's more Transalp skis in the line. It's more complete, but those are super lightweight skis. To me, the person that picks up a Transalp boot and goes skiing, like that matches perfectly with a Fisher Hannibal, with a Blizzard Zero G, with a that type of situation. So talk to me about the naming and why it's not called Hannibal, why it's called Transalp. And again, I don't have a problem with it being called Transalp. I like the name. I just like to me, I like the symmetry of it bothers my brain. Yeah. Um, the discussions as well as all design discussions, color discussions, once we get the international sales force together is just, uh, 
a clusterfuck. Club, <laughs> because, uh, everybody, you you can't make everybody happy. Yeah. And, um, the, the, the reality is your goal is just to make sure everybody's equally unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> um, is really just ends up being the only solution. Um, but valid point. Um, Transalp has a lot of history for us. Um, yeah. It's not the first Transalp boot we had. Um, our first touring boot that predated the Traverse, um, which was uh, at its time was was uh, an adequate product, but in the meantime is incredibly outdated, was called a Transalp. We have the Transalp skis. And in Europe, and I'm not sure how much of this really reaches reaches the States, but we do do a an event every year, um, a week-long mm. uh, tour, ski tour that's called the, the yep. Transalp, where we go from point A to point B with uh, spending the night at uh, huts along the way. Um, we invite consumers out to, to join us in this. And so, um, we have, where's my invite, dude? Like, where's my, why am I not invited on these? This is, I've, the... <laughs> it, it didn't happen last year and I have not personally been yet either. So, um, let's let the COVID dust settle and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring you along. Perfect. Um, from what I've seen, it's. Seems like a great time, and somehow in the past few years, they've always gotten very lucky with snow conditions as well, and skied some actually incredible powder along this thing. But yeah, uh, Transalp has some history with it, and uh, there is some to to reduce confusion. Um, I'm not so sure how much longer the Hannibal name will exist on the ski side mm. i think this is something we're looking to homogenize down to really having our pillars um the traverse is a is a a name brand now and we mm. we can't touch that so it was to keep something along there um and to thinking long term uh we felt better about Transalp for for a, a long future mm. instead of uh hannibal which has an interesting history as well. Yeah. Um, that for for the American in me, I I had no idea that it had any sort of the history it does. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a good answer. Like that's kind of the answer I was hoping for, but I just like I, when I saw it get released in the catalog, and I'm looking at how they align with each other, and it's like even in the catalog, I think they had uh, Traverse was directly aligned with Transalp skis and Transalp boot was directly aligned with Hannibal ski. And I was just like, okay, like I don't really, but that being said, if that's the biggest complaint that anybody has with a product is the naming of it, I think, uh, you guys have hit a home run. I mean, this is about as good of a ski boot launch like that I could hope for in terms of like a niche product, right? Like it's, it's great. I've talked about it a while and, uh, I know a lot of people who are very excited. I hope more shops bring it in. Like I hope you start to see that kind of that kind of push from it. I don't know what kind of numbers. I don't know what kind of excitement you guys are seeing from it. But for me, it's like I always worry that shops are going to bring in. They're going to nitpick what they bring in, right? They're going to be like, we can only bring in one Fisher Touring boot, and it's going to be you know Traverse because that's what it is. I I just think that this is a category that maybe a lot of people are unaware is as important as it is yeah um i mean valid point and i think we saw it with the traverse which is by far our best performing or best selling ski boot um 
uh, currently, but it, it took a few years for it to get established. It makes sense for the for the retailers taking the risk on bringing it in. Um, in the first year, they they're always a little bit more conservative and a little more hesitant. Um, I'm fully convinced and very confident that um, as more people get to experience it, that um, we'll we'll see uh, an explosion there. Um, the traverse took us two or three years to really get established and we didn't really have to change anything on the product. It was just the exposure to it that takes some time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of that first year. Um, and then, I mean, we're selling into a tricky retail environment. Um, mm. Touring has obviously been doing well, um, especially in the States, but keeping in mind that our huge market over here in central Europe, I mean, Germany, France, yeah. Spain, Italy were completely shuttered last year. And to a large degree, ski touring was officially banned as well. That's so crazy. So, yeah. So. I always forget about that because it's like not at your front door. So you stop thinking about it. But that's, yeah, that's insane. And I hope I hope that part of it gets better for everybody. I hope we're kind of out of the woods, although it sounds like we're going back into the woods a little bit. It's, I'm... I don't know. At least here, I'm I'm excited for skiing, and I hope none of that gets uh, gets deterred at all. So you and me both. You and me both. Are you wearing a cow shirt? Uh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of a random coincidence. Uh, this is this is a a Williams Alpine shirt. Oh shit! So, uh, That's amazing. To, to bring a little East Coast connection, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just do a tangent into a little bit of my history. I spent uh, four years at Williams College on the Alpine ski team with the mascot, the purple cows. And, <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite shirts. And definitely That's a, a dope ass shirt. Of like, yeah, it's like the wolf tee. But yeah, exactly. That's what I thought it was. I was like, oh, he's wearing a wolf tee. But then I realized like literally <laughs> two seconds ago that you were wearing a cow tee. And I think that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, shout out to all the Eefs out there. <laughs> Is that what they're called? Yeah, we're the, the Eefs based on Ephraim Williams. Oh, uh, shit. All right. It was an interesting choice, but somehow it stuck. Um, if people want to bother you on Instagram, do you want them to? How can people find you on the gram? How can people find, obviously people know where to find Fisher on Instagram, but where, uh, where can they find you? If they, if they have boot questions, they want to slide into your DMs and you want to let them. What uh, yeah, where's that um, at? I'm all for people reaching out to me. Um, I'm a bit amazed at how many people have found me thus far. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm quite on your level of social media savviness, but uh, I'm Christoph underscore Lentz. Um, and yeah, check me out. Um, I was trying to glorify my life here in Austria. <laughs> It looks fun, dude. I was doing a dive on your Instagram last night. I'm sure you saw me get a couple like Instagram likes, like from old posts. Like I'm like creeping through, like looking for things yeah. to talk about. It looks like, dude, it's your great follow. And honestly, like I think having you as a resource to people is is amazing. Like I'm sure people after this are gonna slide into your DMs and just be like, "Hey, dude, psyched." Like that's people have been so kind and so thoughtful. I think about product especially to me it's like anytime people come to me with boot questions or ski questions it's like it's the best conversation because it's like you're really helping them and they feel like you are the expert and i'm not even the expert you're the expert here so i think i think you'll get a lot of that 
Absolutely. Um, I, I welcome all messages. Um, and I mean, I think that was something I, I really saw the potential and what really excited role. Um, having grown up in the States, having been familiar with the product, I was always amazed at how well it performed and how underrepresented it was on the mountain. Um, kind of makes sense for a smaller private company that's really Austrian and for the past really been uh, Euro Central European focused. So I was always a little disappointed at how how available informations and and contacts were in the states. So this is something that's very high on my list is to kind of uh, spread the hype, be available. Um, I'm trying to make as many trips over there as possible, visit shops. Um, and and be out there skiing on the stuff skiing with people so yeah um yeah I'm beautiful a... beautiful well let me know when you're out here uh let's go skiing i mean that's really all i care about at this point let's uh let's go skiing let's make some turns and uh let me know when you're in new england absolutely i'll definitely be in touch and until then i guess pray for snow for sure definitely pray for snow um all right well let's just Go for it, then. Um, Chris, tell people who you are, tell people a little bit about yourself, and tell people where we are. Uh, my name is Chris Carlton. We are at Allspeed in Portland, Maine. Uh, I am one of the co-owners here. Um, in addition to running Allspeed, which is in Portland and Carabasset Valley, um, I also own a trail building company called Maine Trail Builders. And, uh, yeah. Sick. How, how long have you been involved in the shop here? Um, what's, the, what's the background to Allspeed? So I um, grew up about an hour north of here and we didn't have a bike shop when I was a kid and I was way into bikes. Um, and um, Allspeed was the closest shop. And at the time they were kind of like, you know, in the gold era of mountain biking. Mm. And uh, you know, I used to convince like my grandmother or somebody, you know, in my family to give me a ride down to all speed. And, and I lied and told them it was a half hour and it was an hour. And, uh, <laughs> so anyhow, um, I became friends with the, um, owner's son through racing. I actually used to race on the evil and E13 team, like way back in the day as a junior. And, um, you know, kind of becoming friends with the owner's son became friends with the owner and uh, went to college and found myself jobless at the end of college and uh, was asked uh, if I could go work at Allspeed one summer. And, uh, and then here we are. <laughs> <laughs> own office, own desk, co-owner. That's, that's amazing, man. That's a cool story. Like, it's cool to just see how, that, how the progression of shops goes sometimes because like so many like old heads are just in the shop game for no reason and kind of don't have any passion for it. But it's cool to see you be like, I started coming to this shop as a kid and now I'm an owner at this shop. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that was definitely like a, a, a big thing for, for me, like, and you know, having that kind of like having all speed up on a pedestal as a kid and, you know, now to kind of be an owner and be, be involved in like the whole thing and kind of almost like a curator for what this guy was doing, mm. um, you know, has been huge. So, yeah. So obviously the last year and a half, we're not going to spend too much time on COVID itself, but I want to talk about how your business has changed and how you guys are approaching things. Sure. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that. What's different since COVID? Obviously, masks, sanitation, whatever aside, what has changed about the way you have to prep for your business? Um, because I know for me, it's been 
a lot more foresight, like kind of predicting what's going to happen has been super important. And it's been honestly the biggest thing that I could have done for myself is like, look and see what, like what other trends are in other areas and try to apply them to our area as much as possible. But, um, what's it been like for you guys? Um, I, I think it's been very similar for us, you know, and I think foresight is, is the, the key right now. You, mm. you got to look, you know, really hard, uh, far ahead. And the best thing you can do is look into like other markets that are a little ahead of us. For some reason, you know, here on the East Coast, we're sometimes we're a little behind, especially in Maine. We're a lot behind yeah. in Maine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like knowing like how much stuff to order and then sort of like banking on some of that stuff not coming and then spreading your order among as many vendors as you possibly can. So you actually might have a chance of getting what you need. Mm. Um, and then you still won't get what you need. Um, so, you know, being able to kind of like, you know, manage that process and then also manage the, you know, the, the situation of when you don't get enough stuff and you're having to call customers and say, Hey, the bike that you ordered six months ago got canceled and it's not coming in and I'm going to refund you. Yeah. Not a fun conversation, but like we, we've been, you know, having to try and get through those and, uh, you know, just sort of you know, navigate like that delicate situation with the customer of letting them down and hopefully keeping them as a customer mm. with, you know, presenting alternatives, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. Like I've kind of had the same struggle and I imagine a lot of shops have too, where it's like, what do you do with that? Like my stance has been, I don't want to take pre-orders. I, I haven't taken a pre-order period. Somebody's like, I want to order a bike. I'm like, I'm not going to order you a bike. I will add you to a list and I will look for that bike every single day until that bike becomes available. I will put it on an order. I will try to get it for you. But like, I haven't been taking pre-orders because of that reason. I was just like, I don't know what's going to come. I don't know what's happening down the line. I can't even predict stuff for like my own bikes. Never mind. And I mean, look, your bike came a year later. Like it's crazy. <laughs> so that's why I took that stance. And we've just basically been calling and harassing people. And now we finally have bikes and, things are starting to look a little bit better, but I guess how has it been taking pre-orders for bikes? Because that's the complete opposite stance of what I've been doing. Well, um, I'll say that, uh, you may have had better foresight than I did. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, we, we certainly have learned a little bit through like taking some pre-orders. Um, we, we tried to be as transparent with our customers as we possibly could. And at the time we were taking pre-orders, we were going off the information that our vendors were feeding us mm. and saying here, here, this list of bike is going to be here by then. You know? Mostly inaccurate, too. Like, yeah, I would say nine times out of ten. Yes, right? like, 100%. And it, it was almost never accurate. Um, we did get sort of lucky, um, you know, with, with some of our vendors. We, we got a lot of stuff early, but not nearly enough to fill the, the orders that we ended up taking. Um, and as a result, we, we had some folks that waited forever, um, you know, and were very, very patient and we had to call them up and tell them their bike has been canceled and there's yeah. nothing we can do. Try to present them with alternatives. Um, and then, um, others, you know, would get very impatient and, you know, I, I don't blame them one bit. Um, and we would, we would refund them, but like, I mean, we probably refunded like 50 or 60 grand of pre-orders. <laughs> That we thought were coming. My skin just started crawling hearing like, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was tough, and it was like, unfortunately, like we felt like we had to do it when we got the information, just mm. sort of ethically. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, totally. though like that was a huge hit all at totally. once. Um, but we we would rather be transparent with our customers and be like, hey, we're really sorry. 
we don't see any future of this bike coming, so we're going to give you your money back. Yeah. Um, and I think you guys, and that's one of the things I want to give you guys credit for, is like you guys are the best in terms of communicating with your customers and how you guys prevent like or present information to the customer. I haven't seen a shop that does a better job than you guys. Like that mailing you guys just sent out was great and detailed and it's like this is what the situation is with bike parts right now it's like sometimes everybody's talking about it right but most shops are just being like eh but stuff's not available sorry bye you know like it was the complete opposite from you and your communications with your customer where you're like this is the reality of the situation this is what we're doing and even when covid started you guys in terms of communicating how you wanted people to act in the store too and how you wanted them to handle their sanitation, how they like wearing mat, like that kind of stuff is super important. And COVID has really highlighted that. And I think for you guys in the best way possible. Yeah. For, first off, uh, thanks a ton, man. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. we, we work really hard on being transparent and, you know, we, um, you know, it, it's kind of like our customer base, like, yeah, there are customers, but we think of them kind of as like friends and family. And like, we just want to like let everyone know what's up. And, yeah. and part of, this you know navigating this whole mess is is giving you know the most accurate information we have to our customers so that they can make informed decisions and we kind of feel like that's you know part of our job you know and it's not just with like covid and you know like crisis situations but um you know like we we do it with uh you know like we send all our crew to like different uh, ski demos and bike demos and things like that because we want to have like firsthand experience on the product that we're selling. We don't want to be, you know, a shop that's like BSing someone and be like, oh, that thing's sick. You know, and they're like, have you ever skied it? No. Yeah. You know, like we don't want to be like that. I bet half the shops in America don't have people that even ski anymore on the floor. And I think that's, that's a shame too. There's tons of places. I know in my area, like the three surrounding shops, not to, and I'm not naming names and I'm sure. not going to tell you even like, if you don't know me, I'm not mentioning my shop either, but it's just, they don't ski. Like it's not, they're not involved. They're not cyclists. It's just, they're selling you a product because it's their job and there's some merit in that. But it's also like in this industry, you really need to know what's going on and you need to know the product because otherwise you're doing your customer a disservice, right? I, I agree 100%. And, and going back to the old all speed of the previous owner, Gary Bush, that was his, you know, his whole thing was all about like, we, we use the gear that we sell. Yeah. And we can give you an honest firsthand recommendation. And we're also not afraid to tell you like, hey, that sucks, don't buy it. Or totally. hey, yeah. hey, you won't like that. I know like what you like because you've been coming here for 10 years right? and you're not gonna like that even though you think you do. Right. Um, so. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. And I do that a lot. Like I find myself doing it a lot when I don't like things. It's a hard, hard to separate, I guess, between what you don't like personally and what your customer may not like. Like I have that issue all the time because there's so many skis that I get on and I'm like, this is trash. Like, this is not what I want to, like, I would never want to sell this, but we're going to sell it because it hits a certain price point. How do you, like, then convey that to your customer and be like, this might actually be the right product for you, but it's just not the right, like, I have a hard time getting behind it, I guess. Yeah, so, I, I hear thing. you on that. And, like, I guess, like, you know, one of the things I always try and do in that situation is sort of let them drive the conversation and listen to what their needs are. And if they're focused around, like, a certain feature of that product whether it's price or like actual like a physical feature then you know i kind of just let them you know do the talking and then if something if there's a red flag where i'm like wait a minute that's not going to work for you i'll right. tell them you know right. and, I, and and in some cases like i literally like turn business away because i don't want to like 
sell someone the wrong thing and be like, mm. hey, look, we don't sell this thing or we don't have this size ski boot, but here's what you need. Go get it. You yeah. know? And nine times out of 10, those people come back to us. That's a good recommendation. Yeah. Like people very much undervalue a good recommendation. For sure. It's so important. Your customer, like I send people places all the time that I know the person that's here, right? Like, and I'm like, all right, this is important, right? Like I'm recommend, this is my recommendation. If I make a good recommendation to another shop and you feel comfortable with that shop, you come back to me too, because I made that recommendation. For so. sure. And that's a, that's a thing that not enough retail stores, not just ski shops and bike shops do in general, because we need that. Everybody kind of needs to work together in a certain way. Absolutely. And it's, it's like kind of short sighted to just focus on like one sale, you know, and be like, I got to sell this one thing to this person right now. Yeah. Cause if you, if you screw up and they come back and they're like unhappy for whatever reason, then they're never going to come back to you again. You know, totally. whereas like if you might lose one sale, but you ended up helping them get the right thing, you've got that trust and they're going to come back to you again and again. Yeah, no, for sure. How how has the ski side of things differed from the bike side of things for you guys? And you, I don't know your business super yeah. well. You tell me like ski busier than bike. What's what's the story overall? And then how has COVID changed? And how has business in general changed? Because I do kind of think that where we're at and the way we operate as businesses is kind of changed permanently now. Yes. Um, because of things we've learned from COVID. So what's changed in ski? What's different from ski to bike? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, so when we bought the shop, um, it was definitely like bike heavy. Uh, the owner, previous owner Gary, he really focused on backcountry and telemark, and mm -hmm. he he was honestly the guy was like the godfather of backcountry and telemark in our area. He'd been selling it literally since 1990. That's crazy. I, I didn't even know like backcountry gear existed in 1990. Totally, I wasn't um, alive in 1990. Yeah, so. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so anyhow. Um, when we got the shop, we, you know, it was 2009 and um, we started to see backcountry pinging, you know, and it was, you know, kind of starting to be buzzworthy. And we just continued to sort of grow it a little bit year after year and buy more stuff. And we kind of became known as like the backcountry shop. And then over time, um, we... Uh, you know, started adding in more Alpine gear. And then obviously the whole industry changed when the two things sort of melded together. Like, you know, you've got this like Alpine backcountry side country and, yeah. you know. Um, so, I mean, we definitely still sell more bike gear, but our ski business has grown significantly. Okay. Um, and during COVID, um, you know, we obviously had a huge bike boom, like any bike shop. But as being known as the backcountry shop, everyone was nervous about the ski resorts not opening. Mm. They didn't want to put up with lift lines. And so we kind of were well positioned to, you know, take advantage of that. And we had pretty good inventory positions. I'll say, I don't know what you saw, but the ski side of things was not affected as badly in terms of supply chain and delays. No, I don't think so. I mean, I remember last the ski season just being annoying. Like, I don't remember it being. <laughs> I, I just that's how I would categorize it. It was good. I mean, we were up. It was. I, we had an excellent ski season in both stores, so yeah. I was. I was definitely happy with it. But it was annoying because you add twenty steps to everything basically for, sure. for that whole season, yes. especially when you're talking about like lease business. It was yeah. infuriating. Like we left so late, so many days because we're like fogging the entire room full of rental gear. Yeah. on the mountain after just getting like you know 150 daily rental returns like yes. it's crazy so yeah 
pluses and minuses i guess but <clears throat> for us like we're a, definitely a ski heavy shop that mm-hmm. is like what we do we have been since the beginning bike has been the newer add-on of the two things and yeah. we do a significant bike business but the ski side is like that's home for us so that's what made me nervous and I, honestly i'm more nervous this year than i was last year because i don't know when things are going to ship like things like like we sell a lot of solomon solomon's taking six weeks to get into the country and then two weeks more to actually find somebody to deliver it to you. So that's eight weeks, man. Like that's a huge order. And they're, you know, they release it into the country on your ship date. Right. right so right. I'm not going to see that shit until November. Yeah. You know, it's shit that I wanted yesterday. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and uh, you know, it's definitely seeming like there's, you know, more, more delays. Like we've had some stuff show up, but then there's other stuff from other brands that we haven't heard a peep from. Mm. Um, you know, and it's like, where's this? You know, and yeah. they're like, well, we don't know. We'll check on that. And it's like, okay. Um, yeah. How's staffing been? Like, that's my other, co- because for me, I'm super frustrated all the time when a, when a bike company or a ski company's communication is bad to us as the retailers, right? Yep. But there's like the soft side of me that goes, oh, they're just having a really hard time finding people to do the job. Same as us, right? Like when people call me and hound me all day, I'm like, can't tell you how many things i'm how many different things i'm doing in a day just to make this shit happen i can't imagine on that side of things so i guess how's staffing been for you how is your and in addition to that how has your communications been with those companies that you work with on the outside yeah i mean staffing has been okay for us honestly um you know you guys look like you got a ton of employees here like it's things look yeah like we they're moving yeah we we've got a fair amount of folks here and you know we, we try and like make it so like the the guys and girls that work out back in the service department um we tr- you know they're you know obviously trained to work in service but we also train them to work front of house too okay um so we can kind of pull from places when we need to like you know get more people on the floor we've got like a service project like tuning you know 100 lease skis at once right, or whatever right. um We've been lucky, like we've, we've had a few like college, you know, people that we had on over the years that, you know, like they leave like they always do. Um, we just hired a couple new people, um, you know, um, wages have definitely, you know, we've had to increase wages and honestly, like going back to kind of a question you asked about like the industry as a whole, I sort of feel like part of this whole byproduct of COVID on the outdoor industry is for years, it's been undervalued mm. the product and the people. Totally. And I think now it's kind of like allowed the industry to come back and say, Hey, look, you know, these products are worth what the price says because people are obviously buying them. Right. And the people that are working in the industry, like they, they need to be paid more because they're experts and they hustle and they're honestly mm. some of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we've found that, you know, increasing, you know, our wages a bit, you know, um, and adding some benefits to our, our overall, you know, program has helped like keep our staff on, um, and then get, get some new folks like on board. Mm. Yeah. It's been, uh, for us, it hasn't, been an issue of keeping our staff it's been an issue of getting more staff on mm-hmm. right because we're you're seeing growth right how do yes. you plan for that growth how do you plan for things to be busier and the biggest thing that we saw was like everything turned into like i could predict when a saturday would be busy on a normal year you know two three years ago now it's like a saturday may be dead but a tuesday maybe i may have 50 people in the store and then i'm like what do i do with myself like i have normally two people on staff on a tuesday 
it's uh it's crazy man like so no, it's nuts <laughs> that's what the hardest thing i think has been for me and also it's like you're right 100 percent. you can't pay people what you used to pay them and you can't value them the same way you used to value them because people could just collect unemployment and make the same thing that they were making at no money in a ski shop a few years ago right like there's there's people who it's just not worth it for to work to a certain extent i mean and obviously it's a different mindset it's not a thing i would ever do but there's i know people who are like yeah man i'm making more money collecting unemployment than i am working yeah i mean i i guess like on one level like you, you can't blame those folks but you know flipping the you know script a little bit you know when's the last time you know you've had like some big giant sale on either bike or ski product you know like i'm talking like mm, blow, you know yeah. so like i think everyone industry-wide like margins are a little healthier and you know you can afford to you know maybe pay someone a little bit more but i, I really think like it's it's kind of like a you know, a, a time where people are finally seeing what the value of this industry is as a whole. Mm. And I, I hope it sticks around, um, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I think like everyone that's involved, whether it's like, you know, on the supply side or on the retail side, like they all deserve it. You know, like totally. everybody deserves a bump. Like we all work hard and it's definitely a labor of love. Without a doubt. Um, so last thing I kind of wanted to ask you is like how how do you guys use the internet to your advantage and how do you guys compete with everybody else that is on the internet? Right. I mean, in new England, there's a lot of players online now that didn't used to be players online. Obviously everywhere else, there's huge operations. Like there's the Evos of the world, you know, powder, whatever it's called. Like there's so many different shops that are making good businesses online. Like how do you guys treat the online sales? How do you guys see it going forward? I guess. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So, um, you know, years ago, um, probably like in the around 2012, 2013, we, we really thought like our only opportunity for growth was going to be um, online sales. So mm. we, we, we went heavy into online sales and, you know, we started, you know, buying, you know, with the intent of selling a lot of this gear online and had a, what we thought was a good plan to market ourselves as an online retailer and quickly learned we did not have the resources that mm. some of the big competitors had. And this is like in the era of like the Evos and the uh, back countries, like really kind of coming into their prime and hitting yeah. their stride. And we were just getting our asses kicked like big time. Yeah. So we, we kind of got burned pretty bad, uh, really bad actually. Um, and decided that, you know, when we moved to this location in 2015, and we just kind of decide we're going to focus on brick and mortar. And we want to focus on things that we can do that, you know, online retailers can't, you know. And one of those things ended up <laughs> it's, being... It's uh, like the phone. Yeah, the phone's going to ring. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, there we go. Someone's... Beauty. So um, one of those things was, you know, like boot fitting. Um, yeah. We, we went heavy into boot fitting and we educated our entire staff, on, you know, front of house, like, you know, brought them all the master fit and did the Cetus thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it paid off dividends for us, you know, and we basically decided we want to start like offering services or experiences that, um, you know, the internet can't offer. So we want right. to take it from a transactional nature to an experience, you know, mm. 
Um, we don't want to just be the people that come in and, you know, you hand us money and we give you stuff. Totally. So that's a great approach. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of shops that aren't necessarily doing the online thing or kind of taking that approach where it's like, we need to make you feel something when you come in here. Otherwise, what are, we're just another reseller. Like yeah. what, what are we, how are we different? And cause customers will ask that. It's like, why shouldn't I go buy this product on Amazon? Why shouldn't I go buy this product on Evo? Why? What's the difference? And really, that's the difference, right? right. Is like is the way that they feel when they walk into a store. The service that you're capable of offering is yeah. definitely more complete. So on that, what do you do if an Evo, a backcountry, decides to come to you and offer you something to you know take part in an online business, right? Because Evo has like the La Familia program. Yeah. Is that of interest to you? Is that a thing that you could see Allspeed being involved in? You tell me. You know, I you know, if you asked me like five years ago, I'd have said hell no. But now, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about with you know sending somebody to another retailer to mm. get what they need, I mean that's a way to do it and kind of keep the business in house. So yeah, you know, I'm not opposed to it. You know, and and I, I I've looked at the La Familia program a little bit. Um, I don't know a ton about it, but I mean it certainly intrigues me. Like. At the end of the day, I just feel like our job is to help our customers get what they need and help them enjoy like skiing or biking. Yeah. And so if we can do that, like, and not get cut out of the equation, yeah, then I'm all for it. That's always my worry with that. It's like when I saw that program initially, I was like, this is a way to cut everybody out. This is a way so that when your business struggles, they can come in and buy you easier, like, and have access to all your stuff. That's how I looked at it when I got mm -hmm. the email whatever, four years ago, whenever sure. they first started sending these things out. And I was just like, yeah, I don't want to be involved. But that's, I always wonder how other people feel about that kind of program because I think we're going to see more of that. And especially because you're starting to see like Evo retail locations like pop up more. And yes. it's like, and they're not, some of them aren't bad. Like some of them are good. Like my buddy works at the one in Portland and I can tell you that shop knows what it's doing because yep. he was our old manager. It's yeah. like, so I know who's running yeah. it. I can tell you the Denver store is like, when I was first there, I don't know about now. It was like, eh, I don't know. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And there's definitely, like, it's hard to get employees in there, those areas. So are they yeah. getting new employees? Like, I don't know. It's it's a very complicated web, I think, at this point. Yeah, I, I think we're definitely going to see that. We're going to see more, um, you know, the Evo, the backcountry, like, physical retail locations. And then on the bike side, we're already seeing, you know, the concept stores, like the Specialized, totally. the Giants, the Treks. Does and that bother you? I don't sell those brands, so not really. Um, if I mean, it did, would I know it's hard to say. Like, if you did, would it bother you? Because, like, well, I mean, so Santa Cruz is owned by this company, Pond. Yeah, right. Know, and Pond just bought Mike's Bikes in California. I saw that, which is insane. Yeah, like, that's crazy. I mean, like, I never would have in a million years have thought anything like that would happen. But you know, they're they're all trying to do the same thing and just increase their market share, just like probably yeah. you and I are. So yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't honestly. I don't. We haven't faced that issue yet. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's. We'll see what happens. And honestly, like, if I'm being totally transparent, I think a Santa Cruz is one of the companies that is a player to do that. Right? Like, they're yes. gonna want to do that. They're yes. gonna want to open Santa Cruz look because it's hot right now. It's yes. like what people are looking for. So. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know. Anyway, um, Chris, where can people find your stores? Where can people find more information about you guys on social, on yeah. the internet, on in person, the whole the whole nine? Yeah, so we're located at 127 Marginal Way in Portland. And then we are located at the outdoor the Sugarloaf Outdoor Center in Carabasset Valley. Carabasset Valley is the town which Sugarloaf is in. Great, great mountain biking there. 
Um, and we're allspeed.com and on social, I think we are allspeed cyclery and snow spelled out for both Instagram and Facebook. Amazing. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate the visit. Of course. Yeah.